Hi, folks. Thank you for joining us today for the Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Aveda. We're going to give our audience just a few moments to settle in today, and we'll be back to start the presentation shortly. Hi, everyone. We thank you again for joining us for the Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored today by Aveda. We're going to give our audience about another 30 seconds or so to settle in, and we'll start the presentation shortly. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, Building Safer, Foundations of Effective Injury Prevention and Wellness for Construction Workers, sponsored by Aveda. My name is Barry Botino, and I am an associate editor at Safety and Health. I'll be serving as the moderator for today's event. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items to share with you all today. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a Q&A with our speakers. If you have a question, just click the Q&A button located at the bottom of your screen. Type in your question and press the send button. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin to send in a question. We welcome your questions at any time during today's event. After this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you more about that later. Finally, this webcast will be archived. If you'd like to review a present, excuse me, if you'd like to view this presentation or any of our past webcasts, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's introduce our speakers. With us today are Kevin Lombardo and Nicholas Laughlin. Kevin is the president and CEO of Dorn Companies, which is a wellness-based pain management, early intervention and prevention, evidence-based specialty provider that helps reduce employers' costs. Kevin's areas of expertise include safety excellence, operational improvements, technology implementation, strategy, and leadership. Nicholas launched a career in safety in 2008, and he has partnered with a wide range of safety professionals and enterprises to create integrated holistic safety solutions for workers in high-risk industries such as construction. Nicholas, who is the former safety director of Tofel Dent Construction, also has a certification in instinctive movement systems. He is also a certified holistic life coach. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation, and Kevin, whenever you're ready, Go ahead and take it away. Well, thank you, Barry. Uh, I want to first thank uh, Safety and Health, 
National Safety Council and Aveta for sponsoring this and asking both Nick and myself to participate. We really appreciate it. As Barry said, I'm not going to dwell on this. This is a little bit of what DORN is. Uh, we've been around 23 years. We've supported over 120,000 employees around the country and uh, have saved employers over $100 million with our holistic approach to injury prevention and wellness. So let's get into what we're here to talk about today. Today, we're going to focus on the construction industry, but actually, when you get into the actual uh, dynamics of what we're going to talk about, it really spreads across all industries. And so we'll, we'll be a little bit construction focused because that's Nick's background, but we're also going to talk about many other injuries. We're going to talk about that holistic approach. I know that both Nick and myself at Dorn, we believe in NIOSH's total worker health approach that total worker wellness, depending on how you want to word it. And we really want to really bring out how you can take a holistic approach towards your employees' overall health and wellness and, and safety. Uh, Nick will walk us through a case study is what they did at their his organization. And then we'll talk, talk about next steps and Q&A. But before we get started, I believe we have a poll question that we want to put up there. And the question is, have you or one of your workers recently been involved in a workplace incident? It's a yes or no question. We'd like to understand, you know, how many, we got about 124, 130 people on right now. How many of those we actually, uh, you know, are having uh, some incidents in the recent mode so that we want to make our conversation relevant to you. So we'll leave that up for another 15 seconds or so, and then we'll move on. Okay. Yes. 56%. Yeah. Yeah. It's not surprising. Unfortunately, it's not surprising. So we, we, we thank everybody for participating in that. So let's talk about the construction industry and what it is today. It's one of the largest industries in the United States. Over 8 million people are participating in this industry. And then when you start thinking about the multiplier effect, when you start getting into subcontractors, maybe not so much they're directly involved in construction, but you start thinking about their supplying materials, their supplying services and so forth. You could multiply that 8 million by about 10. And there's a, a significant number of people that are directly or peripherally related to the construction industry. Unfortunately, as we saw in the poll, one in 10 workers, construction workers suffer an injury every year, higher than most industries. So I think this, the conversations today are gonna to be very, very relevant. One in five deaths amongst US workers occur in this, in this industry. And it's, it's a significant thing. And I am so glad Nick is here today to really talk about you know, the holistic approach that he's utilized, that we know that we utilize at Dorn with our organizations that we work with that really help minimize not only injury risk, but uh, risk of, of death. The construction industry experiences 71% higher rates of injury than other industries. It, as we saw, one in 10, it's a pretty significant, I believe with OSHA, if you look at the overall incident rate, it's about a 2.0 or 2.1 we're talking about a much higher incident rate. And then we think about pain medication, opiate use, uh, dependency on uh, pharmaceuticals. You know, if we went to conferences three, four years ago, right before COVID, you'd find five sessions on the opiate issue and things of that nature. Today, when I go to those same conferences, 
we're not seeing those sessions, but the issue is still there. And we really want to make sure that it, we keep it present in front of mind. I believe we actually have another uh, poll question coming up. Okay. How do you currently prevent workplace injuries? Check all that apply. Uh, so we have the ability to check more than one. Uh, you know, we do we pre-qualify workers? Are we doing fit for work testing? Are we doing, what is, your, you know, are, everybody has a safety plan, but do we have a safety and wellness plan, that holistic approach? Let's look at it from that standpoint when you answer that question. Safety training, <clears throat> protective PPE, incident intervention and safety technology. And we're gonna talk a little bit about technology at some point throughout the day today. So a lot of choices here. I'm sure most of you are doing a lot of these, but let's see where things like safety technology and pre-fit conditioning and those type of things. So I'm gonna put my glasses on for this. So, so we got a we couple have, leaders, looks like PPE, yep. first protective equipment and safety training for workers. Yes. No, and that's great. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I think where we also want to go deep is in that wellness program and maybe even just touch upon, uh, touch a little bit upon technology if we can. So let's talk about the traditional uh, construction workers. 89% male. Is that a surprise to anybody? Probably not. But I will tell you that dynamic is going to change over the years. If you look at actually the demographics and look at the census data, there are 16 states that have females outnumbering males by at least 6% or more. And overall, if you get to just more than 50-50, it's more than half the states in the US. But when you got 16 states that are 6% or more, that's a significant dynamic that I think everybody has to think about. 42 years old, that might say, okay, that's not a bad age but that's your average age. There's still a tenured workforce going on out there in most industries and in the construction industries. So we have to think about apprenticeships. We have to think about getting into the trade schools again. A lot of those things have gone away over the years and we need to kind of rebuild that. You know, we just, there was just an infrastructure package uh, passed last year. Think about all the new opportunities that are out there and we're all struggling, including Doran itself, struggling finding employees to fill those spots. I just saw the data yesterday. There are 10.5 million open jobs and only about 3.2 unemployed. Significant difference between- Yeah, I think we need to change that, that paradigm, Kevin, you know, of why young people think it's not a good idea to go into the, the construction sector. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, lot of job opportunity, like you indicated, and uh, they just need to understand that yeah, there's a, it's a long path and um, there's some significant money to be made. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a great career. We work with a lot of con construction or municipalities that have road crews and other crews. And at the end of the day, I, you know, something I said a few minutes ago is I think people going, you know, construction companies going to the local schools, the high schools, the trade schools and mm -hmm volunteering, teaching a seminar, they don't have to teach a class per se, but teaching a seminar, getting more engaged, I think is really going to help. Uh, one of the things that we see is mental health issues in, in this industry. The, and the male construction worker suicide rate is 65% higher than other US male workers in other industries. These are really 
issues that we have to address as a nation, not just as an industry, but since it's so prevalent in this industry and it's what we're talking about today. Again, I'm so glad, Nick, you're, you're here today to talk about this stuff. And I'll just put up a few more things on here. You know, when we talk about ergonomic risks, muscular skeletal disorders and ergonomic injuries, they're common. They're, you know, if you look at the data across all industries, it's about one third of all industry uh, injuries. Reality is in construction, it's probably about 60% of injuries are muscular skeletal related, back pains and those type of things. So this is your typical construction worker. There's a lot of areas we have to focus on and how do we take that approach? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So this is Nick's, um, his model. I'm gonna introduce it and then we're gonna go into components of it. But as you can see, Nick, I'm glad he's here because he also believes in that total worker health or holistic approach to uh, employee wellness and injury prevention. So it's not just safety. It's wellness and injury prevention. And the reason I focus on wellness and when Barry introduced us, he said, Dorn is wellness-based, ergonomic and injury prevention. Wellness is an important component of it because if you don't take that holistic approach, I think you're really gonna start saying, oh, we have a safety program. We have a stretch and flex program, which is probably the only time you're gonna hear me use the word stretch and flex because both <laughs> uh, Nick and Dorn are actually licensed and certified instinctive movement uh, organizations that we can bring something different. We're gonna talk about that today and the results of that. So taking that holistic approach, not having just safety programs, but having toolbox talks, those are all important because mm -hmm. you still have electrical issues. You still have other you know, falls things to be careful of, but this is more of a holistic approach. So Nick, I'm going to, you know, get, let's get right into it and let's talk about the, the movement side of things. And, you know, let's use a case study of what you were able to do with your organization. I'll just put up the slides here. We don't want to read the slides. We just want to talk about your program and how you were able to, you know, let's start with movement and then we'll move to some of the other areas. Yeah. I'll just kind of uh, real quick, you know, with, with the whole total wellness package, you know, I just want everyone to, on, on the call to kind of think about, you know, this is, this is the, the best way with these six foundation principles to optimize your body. And, you know, like Kevin alluded to, you know, we have a lot of issues or, or potential issues and hazards at work, but this is a lot of things that you're going to need to take into account that you can, you can take away from the workplace um, and do, do, you know, in your, your personal life every day. So, you know, the goal with this program, I want everyone to, to understand is we're all unique, you know, in the way we respond to food, exercise, and life stress, uh, stresses, you know, vary from person to person. So the program, you know, mission statement or goal was to assist you, uh, the individual, and teach you how to address these issues to prevent you, you know, or, or to help you feel better um, looking and feeling your best. So, um, Kevin, we, we, you mentioned movement. So one of the foundation principles movement here, um, what, we, what we did at my, my last employer at Tulsa Dent. So, um, again, this is a comprehensive wellness program, but with the movement aspect, we had about 100 employees. And uh, so the movement program utilized IMS, which stands for in Instinctive Movement System. So it's a it's an injury prevention program that was taught by you know myself and then 
really the founder, Dr. Uh, Anthony Hall, Tony Hall. And, um, you know, so we were looking for each individual. Uh, they, they, they were all different shapes, sizes, right? We move different. Um, so we were looking at just corrective measures um, and corrective uh, metrics uh, for any imbalances in the body. So, and that's through, you know, traumatic musculoskeletal uh, injuries. And um, so these movement corrections that Tony and I focused on were overall task performance um, and that they encountered virtually in every job uh, that they did. So. So we'll talk a little bit, um, uh, Nick, about the adoption, because, you know, we, as I said, we're licensed and we utilize instinctive movement with all our clients and I can give case studies in our area, but let's stay focused in the construction area, mm -hmm. you know, because stretch and flex programs, what we find have limited ability to maintain the mobility that you want. So as you were, as you were teaching these folks, you know, the movements, which movement is movement, people might think, but it really is different than a, a traditional stretch and flex. But, you know, how, how did people adopt to it? Did they, you know, did they really dive in and did they, did you see a different result of engagement against your traditional stretching program to the IMS program? Yeah, I think we had to really start with that because um, I think everyone had those pre preconceived notion of like, great, this is another stretch and flex program. And and before I get into it, you know, a lot of the stretch and flex programs, um, they focus on static stretching, you know, and there's, there's, I'm not going to say there's no benefit to it, but there's, there's definitely little benefit versus, you know, replacing it with this more advanced functional um, movement system in IMS. So, um, you know, Tony has a very diverse background in, in sports medicine and strength and conditioning. So, you know, that certainly helped in, in your saying, look, whether you have, we approached it, we, we understand everyone has aches and pains, you know, no one's exempt from that, especially like you alluded to with, with construction workers. So we have messed up necks and backs and shoulders. So we said, look, we're not going to heal your pain, but we're certainly going to make you feel better. Yep. And, and so we approached it that way and said, look, just hear us out. Let's, let's go through this program and then we're going we're gonna to touch base and come back, um, you know, in a month and then see how you're feeling. Right. No, that's great. In fact, I, to just give people who are data driven, when we utilize this program, what we normally see is about a 98 to 99% retention of learned behaviors eight months after a single class. So the difference is, is really significant. And when you get people, and the reason we call it all, we all call it instinctive is because it come, becomes instinctive to what they do. So whether they're moving their child into a dorm over the weekend, or whether they're, you know, rehabbing their house, or whether right. they're on the job, when they're utilizing these tools, it becomes instinctive to how they move. And I think that's the difference. That's the biggest difference that we see when we're working with organizations. Right. It's just how you're engaging your environment. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and we all have different environments that we're dealing with day to day. And, and you know, everyone has a different idea of fitness, too. And in my level of fitness, you know, Kevin might be totally different uh, from yours. And, and that's OK. You know, some people just want to be able to roll their cans down mm -hmm. the driveway 
and, you know, to take out the trash and get up there, get, get up and down their stairs and not be in pain, you know? So this is, this is, again, we wanted just to not really focus on uh, a program that was getting to the gym and taking more steps. It was just, you know, trying to focus on how are you going to better engage your environment effectively? Right. Well, let's move to the next piece, uh, the breath work. I'd love to know what you actually implemented for folks. They can read the slides, but what did you, how did you implement right. something like this? Yeah. So breath work's really unique. Uh, you, you know, we have it in the slide is breathing. Um, some of you might've heard, you know, uh, breath work, you know, so breath work, um, I first got introduced to it about, uh, I guess it was five years ago. Um, there's a guy that might've heard of Wim Hof, Wim Hof method. Mm-hmm. And so, um, really the premises of that was, um, you know, he looked at all these different, uh, modalities and, and, um, he found with the breath, breath work, you know, we have the, the ability to really, um, you know, up or down regulate our system. Um, so I had a note here, um, you know, there's, there are dozens or hundreds of breathwork methods out there. Um, one, one of the best ways to start, it's very simple. You could do five to six breaths. Um, and then you're not, you're not holding your breath, but you'll, you'll slowly inhale for five or six breaths and then take five or six, um, slow exhale, nothing fancy, you know? And so with that test, they've measured the nervous system's response to the breathing rhythms. And what was fascinating is that, you know, if you even try to hold your breath or slow it down or speed it up, um, you know, your heart rate variability uh, is lowered, you know, so you can, um, you know, really affect like just how you're feeling. You know, if I've been stressed and I'm having a long stressful day or, or something triggers me, you know, taking the time to stop and just go through a simple uh, breath work exercise. So, you know, really, um, we would practice some of the breath work with the groups, you know, in the trailer or in the office and really just explaining the benefits of it. But, you know, I really intrigued uh, and we would go through some breath work exercises. Um, Again, what I'm recommending is everyone, you know, kind of try to do do their own research. And again, like I, like I alluded to, there's a ton of different breath methods. Um, but, uh, um, do you find Nick that with an industry like construction where it's very physically intense in a lot of cases mm -hmm. where, you know, there, sometimes people are working on adrenaline as well, that this is a reason that breath work kind of comes into place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's, uh, one book that I read, it was the oxygen advantage. It was, it was actually just talking about the importance of regulating your breath during physical exertion. And so a lot of us over the years, it's this phenomenon, we became mouth breathers. Um, it's actually better to breathe nasally, uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, it's, it's, uh, one, it's hydrating, uh, the air you have, mm-hmm. uh, your, your nose follicles that are scrubbing the air of, of pollutants, um, also what a lot of people don't know is, is during, there's a, a nitric oxide exchange that happens nasally, and that doesn't happen if you're breathing through your mouth. So just breathing through your nose, um, you get that, you get that benefit, but, sure. um, 
he might feel at first you're not getting enough uh, breath in for that exertion, but mm-hmm. it's going to definitely downregulate and, uh, and and control your your heart rate variability. Okay. Well, yeah, and let's let's um, segue into nutrition, and not so much. We all know we should all eat right, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guilty of a few things. We know that. Um, but at the end of the day, when we I put up the profile, the construction worker, where uh, there was a significant number that may have been overweight and stuff like that. So not so much. I don't want to hear so much about what nutrition people should utilize. How did you talk to your workers about it and what type of reaction did you get because you again you're in a rough and tough industry and a lot of people's mindset right and you know people are people it doesn't matter where they work but at the end of the day it is a physically demanding job they need their strength they need their nutrition but a lot of people in the industry may have some uh, be obese or just slightly overweight how did you have the conversation and what was the reaction from the conversation? Cause we could see what you're recommending, but I want to hear about that conversation and the reaction from folks who maybe like to munch on the, the candy bar versus some of these things. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it's tough, uh, from, from all the points that, that you've mentioned, you know, my, my approach was, look, I'm not telling you how to eat. Um, I'm not telling you, you need to be on a specific diet. You know, there's a lot of fad diets. Uh, they seem like they come every four to five years. Um, and it's the next best thing, you know, paleo, Atkins. Yeah. Um, what we got keto, keto is the big one right now. Um, so how I approached it again, like I said at the beginning of the program is everyone's unique. Everyone mm-hmm. has a different body type. Um, and you know, through my training and education, there's actually a test you can take to kind of determine. Um, and, and that's what I had, you know, the individuals do so they could figure out um, based on their, their body type, which they should focus on for their nutrition. Oh, good. Um, but the biggest thing, and people don't, you, you have to be in tune with your body, you know, so listen to your body. Um, one of the one of the biggest things I recommend is uh, a rotation diet. So mm-hmm. eat eat based on um, you know the seasons, what's what's available in the store, you know, and getting a variety of foods because that's going to give you a number of different nutrients. Sure. Uh, um, and what I want to touch on with this slide, um, so a lot of people you can get lost in the grocery store. All right. Um, Think about it in this, this way. So picked, picked, pulled, slaughtered, or caught are the most bang, bang for your buck. It will give you the most nutrient-dense food. All of those items are going to be on the perimeter of the grocery store. Okay? Stay out so of the stay, middle. <laughs> stay out of the middle. Stay out of the aisles because all the aisles are going to be cooked out nutrients, processed yep. food, things that have been cooked over 118 degrees, and there's really hardly any nutri- nutritional value. So and what was the reaction though of, of the folks as you're talking to them? That's the, the important thing is for people on the call here is because a lot of people, it doesn't matter whether they're construction and they're drivers, you know, they drive trucks for a living. A lot of people eat these fast food things and we, we all know it's no good for them, right? 
What was the reaction as you're trying to bring it to these folks? Did you see the hundred some out of people? Did you see a tick movement, a change in maybe what they were bringing to work or how they were doing? If you know, you all were supplying some of this to try to start the implementation. Did you yeah. see a change in people? You certainly did. You know, I think at least for me on the management side, you know, um, on our offerings uh, for bringing in lunches for meetings, you, you yep. were taking into account maybe more healthier options, you know, more, more wholesome foods, not just, not just the, the junk foods. Um, you know, and I would, I would get, you know, I wasn't like opening lunch boxes and Hey, you know, let's see what you got That's today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it was, I got approached a lot more and just kind of, again, you know, conversation around, around different, different things that the, the individuals could be doing, you know, um, you know, I want to make an important note that regardless of how you're, you're, you're living, your body's going to take and, and use all available resources, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, produce insulin, cortisol, and adrenaline, you're going to need those things to, to stay alive. And we're turning over so many cells in our body you know, millions of cells in our body and imagine turning over a healthy cell. If you're eating trash can food, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not eating nutrient dense food, you know, so now your body's trying to take those Cheetos and the, in the, in the, you know, Skittles or, or the candy bars or whatever you're consuming and turning into a whole food. Okay. It's not going to get the nutrients. So, so um, hand in hand with nutrition is hydration. So, you know, obviously we know that we need to drink X number uh, glasses of water a day. Did you all in your program, did you start providing, you know, especially if you're working in the heat and stuff, did you start providing, you know, in a previous life, I used to own a small business. And during the summer when our our little plant didn't have any air conditioning, we would bring in bottled water or Gatorade Mm -hmm. to help people. How did, how did you approach that? Yeah. um, So we did, uh, or, or actually working with Tony, he introduced me to a company, but, um, and maybe we could supply it in the show notes, but they had a product that, um, was really with, uh, potassium, you know, your mm-hmm. salts, electrolytes to provide in B vitamins. You know, it's, we, my goal was to, to, uh, you know, get people to, to stay away from your Red Bulls and your monsters and these these sugary drinks so um first it was really educating uh you know the human body is is approximately 75 percent water you know and and water is separated in really two distinct categories so it's the fluid outside of our cells such as our blood and the fluid inside our cells um in in which is maintained um that's going to give you your cell uh rigidity and function but so really being our bodies with 75% water, that's what we need to be drinking, you yeah. know? And then if you're drinking the teas and the coffees, yeah. that's a diuretic, you're going to remove more and more hydration. And, you know, depending on what you're doing, right, Kevin, is, yeah. is you're going to burn through a lot more, uh, oh, absolutely. you know, so it was replacing, um, especially in the, in the summer uh, months. So I'm in Phoenix, um, and it gets 115 and they're working out dry heat, man. It's a dry heat though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're in the desert. It's just sucking water from, you. Yeah. you know, so 
we realized too, no matter how much water you're drinking, you still needed to replace that, uh, your minerals. So mineralization is huge with water in in the hydration aspect. Um, For everyone on the call, I want to give you a tip. If you, uh, you know, you don't have, I guess, Gatorade or a Propel or, or um, say like Mm -hmm. a working athlete, you know, hydration replacement, you can just take, you can pack it in your lunch. It's easy to take, get pink Himalayan salt or Celtic salt, I think, or New Zealand salt. And if you sprinkle that in your, in your water, just a pinch, like you don't want to be able to taste it, taste but it, that's yeah. going to give you, that's going to give you the mineralization, uh, uh that you need. Um, sure. and, oh, then that's great. Into it, and that's going to bring you the, the hydration and mineralization you need. Yeah, no, that's great. Cause, um, I know with organizations we work with, when we talk about nutrition and we talk about hydration as part of our training, we really look for organizations to, and depending on the number of workers, right? You can't go budget busting, but a lot of construction companies don't have large number of employees that, you know, they might have 150. So whether the company can either provide it or supplement it or get it at it because they've negotiated some bulk pricing, you know, sell it back to the employees at a discount. I think the takeaway here, folks, is to actually try to help your employees through making this stuff as available as possible. So, you know, all the education in the world only goes so far, but when you start eliminating the soft drinks from the, you know, the, the, the machine, you know, right. Yeah. You, you provide them the healthy alternatives. They, they start utilizing them. Right. So let's turn to sleep. Uh, Here's something that you don't have personal control over your employees. So Tell me how you were able to, did you, did you actually, you know, after you educate people, after you really talk to them about the rhythms and the movements and all the, all the things that go into sleep and fatigue, did you do any surveys after to say, Hey, who's got better sleep patterns? Cause I know in some of the programs that we do, we actually survey because we're a third party supporter. We do a lot of surveys of, of employees. And what we find is sleep patterns improve, exercise patterns improve, depending on what the training is that we're doing. But did you go in back and kind of touch base with some of the employees to get that feedback based on your education that you're seeing some of those sleep patterns improve? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and actually we, I didn't mention it earlier, but with this wellness program, uh, you know, we use some technology and we, you know, everyone who, who decided to, you know, be involved with it, um, we gave them a Fitbit. And so the Fitbit actually had a function on it to, to track sleep. So, you know, um, that was where, you know, we could, we could see if there was a, a uptick, um, in their, in their sleep. And if they were, you know, it really was a mechanism so they could start paying attention to, um, how much sleep they're getting, you know, and really how they felt if they were getting more restful sleep. Um, so, you know, with, with, we touched on, uh, the hydration and we touched on the nutrition and sleep, you know, again, I want everyone to realize, you know, this is like a spider web. Like if, if, if you're going to have your sleep and hydration nutrition, um, off, you know, it's, it's going to tug on another function. So, mm-hmm. you know, the individual and combined function of these principles are going to ra- radically, uh, influence, you know, your digestion. 
they're going to radically influence your like assimilation, your metabolism, speed up your your metabolism for, for, uh, you know, fat loss, um, elimination too, you know, your ability to, 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 um, you know, feel more with your body. So, you know, um, a lot of people, you know, they're going to bed at different times throughout the week, you know, and I think the biggest thing for me, and I can just speak from my experiences is really just being really, um, stringent, you know, when I lay down, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I have a younger, a younger son. And so, you know, honestly, after I get him down at eight, you know, I'm followed by, you know, nine o'clock, my my head's hitting the pillow and I'm up at five, you know, and it's staying consistent with, with that sleep cycle. Um, when we're bouncing around, you know, that's going to mess with your circadian. No, I think that's great. And I think uh, other things turn off your your phone at a certain time. Don't check for emails or even just check whatever you want, what personally you check. The more you can start doing that, the better. And and in addition to what I, I think the Fitbit is great, because then not only can the employee start seeing the benefits themselves, but the uh, the employer, assuming that the employees are OK with it, can capture the data and and really you know, start looking at, are they seeing changes? Because again, we're, we're a data-driven company. When we work with folks, I don't care if I'm training them on IMS. When I was able to say 98 to 99% retention of learned behavior eight to 12 months later, that's because we audit these things. And we're auditing the people, you know, make it instinctive to how they do their job. So I think it's important for the audience that whatever you do around uh, in any of these programs, and I do love the whole concept of what Nick's presented here, and we'll we'll wrap it up with the mindset here in a second. But I think the the reality of it is you have to be able to see some changes. So you have to create the system of getting feedback, whether it's surveys, whether it's through technology. I mean, we utilize technologies that you know measure cognitive impairment, and we see improvements over time as these programs are being implemented. Whatever your system is, and I know Nick or I would be glad to just chat with you about it at some point, you know, you got to be able to measure the results. So let's touch the last base of your program uh, mindset and and really kind of just talk to us a little bit. Again, I want to hear about how you get construction workers, because that's our audience today. How do you get construction workers to really Get dabble in something that maybe, you know, they're not, that's not something that they're normally dabbling in. Yeah. You know, and, and again, all this, all these are correlated. So your breath, breath work, uh, mindset, uh, and, and, um, I'll throw in meditation are all, Mm -hmm. you know, huge, huge factors here, um, in, in how to have that positive, uh, mindset. So a couple of, couple of notes on, on, on the slide here. So, you know, again, uh, your thoughts produce your body's actions, right? So, yes, absolutely. Uh, it was just, you know, or you heard the saying, you know, thoughts become things. So it's just making sure like, hey, how do I, maybe I'm having a bunch of negative thoughts that day or, or um, well, mm-hmm. and that's, that's one on here, right? We have 70, 78,000 thoughts a day and um, yeah. 90% are negative thinking. So it's trying to flip the script and, and being more positive and um, having some discernment uh, with those with those thoughts and and uh, presenting yourself in a fashion. If I'm going to sit here and say, oh, you know, slumped over and, 
you know, I'm not happy about my body image. I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy about that. I mean, your body is going to start, it's, it's going to function uh, more poorly. So, you know, mindset is, is challenging, but, you know, we try to give, or we, we tried to give um, our employees tools to where they could go to, to sure. help um, improve, you know, a bit, a big thing, uh, that we partnered with in this program was our insurance company, you know, myself and HR, and mm-hmm. uh, we had employee assistance programs, right? So utilizing those employee assistance programs through insurance, you know, to go 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 talk to a counselor if, if you need to talk to someone, you know, and how do you how do you help yourself um, transition that that or shift that paradigm from negative emotions to to positive? No, that's that that's great, and and I want to I want to piggyback on that because um, you know if you if everybody recalls and I'm just going to look at a cheat sheet here on the data, um, moderate to severe mental health issues, eighty three percent. That's from the National Center of Construction Education and Research. So that's not just some you know thought that somebody pulled out of the air. Male construction workers suicide rate sixty five percent higher than U.S. males. I, I will tell you that the mental health issues that I personally believe they were always there in, in, in society, in workplaces, it got exasperated because of COVID. And I believe there's still a sick, because not so much construction workers, because they're on site, they're building, they're doing whatever me I'm, I'm remote, right? My whole team is remote. We've been remote since March of 2020. And, you know, now we periodically get together, but we don't have an office anymore. So the isolation, some of these other things, when you start thinking about what's going on in the world, social unrest, political unrest, it doesn't matter what you personally believe in, what side of the aisle that you're on, it doesn't matter. All these things start building upon people. There's domestic unrest. All these things are just starting to really be shown almost day in and day out. And I wanna use an example if I could. There's a woman from a uh, high-tech company unrelated to construction. Her name is Maddie. And on a um, Wednesday, this goes back, it's the story's about six years old. So, you know, she sent an email to the entire organization that says, I'm taking a mental health day Thursday and Friday to the entire organization, including the CEO. Well, the CEO, so I, first of all, you know, I, when I, if I'm doing this live in front of a whole group of audience, it should have been the poll question here, but it isn't. You know, how many organizations would cringe if they saw that type of email? And I could tell you at some at one point in my life, I probably would have cringed seeing an email like that back when I was young and didn't understand things as I understand them today. Well, the, the CEO responds back and says, Maddie, appreciate your, your, your time and what you're about to do and take that time because we're kicking off Project X on Monday and we really need you here. So it wasn't a negative and it wasn't, you know, it, she felt comfortable being able to do that in her organization. So what I want to kind of wrap up and, and thank you, Nick, I think all the things you talked about from movement to breathing, nutrition, hydration, mindset, they all play a part in this. And so there is start, a- yeah, start like you, I, I'm glad you said something a few minutes ago. You may not realize you said it. I talked to my HR group. We did a uh, think tank a few years ago. We had 30 wellness directors. This was in the middle of COVID. They were starting to share their information with the safety people. A lot of companies, especially the larger ones, Mm -hmm. the stuff is siloed. 
total worker health or total worker wellness means bring it together. Not only you start having wellness talk to safety, try putting the same programs under the similar umbrella, have a portal that whether it's a EAP or a wellness program or a yeah. mental health identification support program, or whether it's a IMS program, have it all together so people can access something. And it looks like the company's working together on behalf of the employees. So our approach is we know there's ergonomic risk out there. That's the end of the day. That's the injury. That's the incident. That's the absenteeism. What we talked about today is how do you address it way before it happens, whether it's the, the model Nick utilized, which touches on wellness, touches on mental health, have these programs because they're all interrelated and more and more, uh, and, and I, I speak probably 12, 14 times a year and we talk about the future of EHS. These three are on here as well as things like technology and well as things like other, you know, other environmental and stuff like that. You have to really look at it holistically, but mental health and wellness are significantly integrated to the outcomes before an ergonomic injury. And then if there is one, the after the injury, ensuring that you're taking care of people. So mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of bring it together. I love your model, bring it together in more of a more a higher level model. Yeah. You know, I want to add one thing, you know. Sure. It might it might it feel daunting to a lot of people to, 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 to try to do this, but I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's no more daunting than it's going to be uh, dealing with the life of, of illness Absolutely. and injury. Um, because imagine, you know, if you could, you could take these and implement these slowly, you know, I, I, I use this, it's the 80, 20 rule. So live right 80% of the time and, yep. and ensure yourself 20% of the time uh, without being a source of disease or illness, you know, because you're going to have to take all that time to go to the doctor and try to figure out stuff to do. And I'll tell you right now, they're just going to give you medications and it's not going to get to the problem, you know, so I don't want that for anybody. Um, it's a model that we've seen that, that doesn't work, you know, yep. so I think the silver lining out of this whole COVID situation is people are being paying more attention to their bodies and in looking for another avenue than than um, yep. pharmaceuticals and, and, and doctors. So well, good. So we have a couple slides just to kind of wrap and then we're going to open it up to questions. I think, you know, again, this holistic approach, but getting very specific to the construction industry movement. Nick did a great job talking about that, that instinctive movement systems that we spread it through all our clients. And I didn't know this about Nick before we met uh, that he's a certified trainer and well. So I think as you can see, it's something that has touched many, many different industries. Rest and recovery, huge. We utilize the term industrial athletes. Some industries don't, it may not make sense for, but industrial athlete, an athlete gets to rest and recovery before their next game. Sometimes they have back-to-back -back games, but for the most part, schedules are such that the, your employees don't. A lot of your employees are going to a second job mm -hmm. or they're going home and rehabbing their, their because they're in construction, they, they think they could redo their whole house. And most of them get 60% there and then right. <laughs> they're too busy doing other stuff. But at the end of the day, they're doing something else, right? And the rest and recovery doesn't really get into what it should be. Pain management, we didn't talk a lot about it, but you know, when you talk about the musculoskeletals, the, the IMS, pain teacher. It's, the pain yeah. teacher. 
Yeah, absolutely. When you get the IMS program, get you to the root cause. But if you have people already pain and discomfort, you have to really kind of really address it head on and, and, you know, and really take care of it. And what you do is you're eliminating it. It's all ocean non-recordable if you do it right with the right professionals and you're helping your employees and then the mental health and well-being. You see the line at the bottom. It's one of our taglines, but we think it's important. Empowerment through education and engagement. We didn't say empowerment through breathing. We didn't say empowerment through ergonomics, empowerment through pain management or what mental health. Education and engagement. You heard Nick a lot today talk about education. I, I know he does this, but I'm going to bring up the engagement level. When you start meeting people where they're at, not so much where you want everybody to be by saying, here's our program, right. meeting people where they're at and you bring them along, you empower them. You empower them to take ownership. You empower them to be ergonomically aware of their surroundings when you train them on something you know we call ergo awareness giving people ergo eyes when you can do all these things plus the model that nick's brought to the table today you really start changing the culture of the organization and really what happens is safety comes out of nick's hands and it's right in the hands of the people on the front line and eventually that's what you want to do and, and you know we're going to wrap this up here with what you're doing with these programs, Nick's program or a piece of his program with some of these other things we've talked about, you're building a culture of safety, health, and wellness. You're not building a safe workforce. You're building this holistic workforce. You can customize your program based on your employees because sometimes you're going to have crews of two. Sometimes you're going to have loan workers in this industry. So whether it's on-site for larger groups like Nick was doing with his training, whether it's virtual program, whether it's app driven, all these things that, you know, we touch employ employers that have sites of a thousand people, 5,000 people, the sites that have two people, 10 people. How do you have programming that touches all of them? We're not here to talk about that today, but we can talk about that at some point. Consistent reinforcement of best practices. Uh, if you have somebody like Nick on your team or yourselves and that you're engaged in this, Absolutely. It's a positive reinforcement. If you don't, then, you know, you have consultants or other people who are on site multiple times a week to, to positively reinforce the best practices. And by the way, look at best practices. Look at if you have multiple job sites, look who's doing it the right way and leverage that across the others. Get people involved and then give them the physical and mental wellness support that they need. So I want to thank everybody again. Thank uh, Safety and Health, Avita. Uh, Barry, I'm going to turn it over back to you um, if there's any questions that are out there. Well, great. Thank you so much, Kevin. And thank you, Nicholas, for sharing your insights with us today. Just a reminder for our attendees today, you can ask a question by clicking the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, typing in your question and hitting the send button. Before we start the q and I also want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. This survey will pop up in a different screen after the webinar. Your input is important because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. And gentlemen, we will get to some questions here right now. And okay. Kevin, I want I wanted to start with you, and, and I'm so glad you you brought up the mental health topic. Uh, we want to know how can construction employers start to normalize that workplace mental health conversation? Yeah, th thanks, Barry. I, I think it's 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 having the conversation, right? Um, one of I, my personal definition of culture 
and this is just my personal definition, is the sum total of conversations. The conversations in the lunchroom, in the break room, you know, on the job site. The, you know, we could have all the posters in the world. We could have all the uh, toolbox talks in the world, but it's the conversations. So a lot of times it starts informally because I think if you just start rolling out formal programming, a lot of times it just doesn't sit right. Um, it goes over people's heads, and now you have to do some things formally. Uh, but start if you're going to really make a significant paradigm shift start finding your your informal leaders or the leaders on the front lines get them engaged in this process start talking to them about it you know just sometimes asking somebody how was your weekend especially if you know they kind of have either a rough home life or they're struggling financially sometimes it's just giving them an ear to you know somebody to listen to so i think Starting that way in some fashion, depending on the culture of your organization, if your culture is a little bit further along, really bringing in some experts. And we're doing a webinar in another week and you know, mental health is not my area of expertise. We've got a PhD behavioral scientist that's going to be on there. So sometimes bringing in that specialist to have some conversations not saying here's a program, but how do you start thinking about it? So I think it's it's baby steps, Barry. It, it really is baby steps because unless your culture is such that you're very down the path of a paradigm shift and you're just putting on top, then you could formally go in and start adding it. Other than that, you have to take the baby steps, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I, I would just like to add, yeah, Kevin, you hit it. Um, you know, it's management, it's the partnership with management and the employees. You know, and and this partnership is the most effective uh, for mm -hmm. establishing and, and fostering that culture. You know, you don't want to just do it from management. Hey, this is our program. Like you said, it's, it's not effective that way. But if you get yeah. buy off, it's it's you're going to buy off on, on in, in including them. It's going to get you a lot, lot more. Great. Thank you, Nicholas. And we did have a couple questions come in regarding this. Um, you know, obviously with any new program that comes along, there there may be some hesitancy with some folks. How, what's the best way to get buy-in from workers? Well, I'll, I'll start if that's okay. Um, I will tell you whenever we start with a new client, we don't go in and do our programming. We, we go in and we do a lot of lunch and learns. We do a lot of we call it immersion week. And sometimes clients will go, oh, geez, am I getting charged for immersion week? Cause you're not doing X, Y, Z, which is in the scope of services. So we do an immersion week or sometimes two weeks because one, our person needs to be immersed in the organization, right? But forget us, let's say you're doing it within your own organization, you have your own resources. Doing the lunch and learn, start putting it into the newsletters. Start, you know, one of the areas that we focus heavily on is supervisors and, and maybe in the construction industry, superintendents. They're the ones who get beat up for productivity, right? They're the ones who are getting the emails and the texts to saying, hey, that you're we're behind. We got to get moving. If you don't get them engaged to the point that they are believers and advocates, it will fail. Because when we're doing a program and somebody says, oh, you need to go see your Dorn person, there's a way to say, oh, it's 11 o'clock, go see your Dorn person with that. Or, hey, it's 11 o'clock, Nick, you should, you know, you're a little bit late, you should go see your Dorn person. I said the same thing two different ways. It's that I believe it's that middle management that makes or breaks a program because 
employees, you'll get your bell curve and then you'll get your, once people really buy into it, they'll pull people themselves. You don't need Nick or Kevin or Dorn to pull people. People pull people themselves, but you got to get the culture right. And I think it's that immersion, it's the lunch and learns, it's the, it's the middle management, the supervisors that really are key. Yeah, I'll add just, we, you know, we did it and I've done it with pretty much every construction firm I've been with. It's, it's, it's great. It's utilizing those, we call them stand downs, you know, yeah. and when you're doing that, that, that toolbox talk, because uh, they're required on a weekly basis, you're, you're involving not just foremen and supervisors, uh, you're involved involving everybody on the project, all boots on the ground, because then um, they're getting the, the information directly from you and it gives them a platform. Um, yep. for them to speak up. Oftentimes, I've seen time and time again, uh, they'll have these siloed meetings and then the information never gets disseminated from the foreman mm -hmm. to the boots on the ground. So I was like, you know, time out, we're, we're doing this all together. And, and Barry, I can add one more thing. And this sure. comes from a, a previous life 100 years ago. Uh, we had something we called the President's Council and we created something where we actually had frontline people who were part of this group that quarterly got together with the CEO originally from the parent company. And then in my division, we did the same thing. And what it was, it wasn't to go around the managers and the superintendents and stuff like that, but it was to get feedback. It was to, Hey, how's this going? You know, this is what we want to do. How's this going to play in the organization? What's the best, best way to do that? So as Nick just said, because he triggered that with me was, Hey, you know, it's the superintendents that are, are, delivering the toolbox talks and all those other things. Management has to be able to chat with people informally or in some fashion, whatever that looks like in the organization, whatever works to get that feedback. One is the message getting down into the organization and two, how is it being received? So I think, you know, a, a president's council or something of that nature, but, you know, is another way to get that feedback to make sure that what you believe you want to accomplish is actually being delivered, received, and in some fashion being implemented. Great. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Nicholas, I had a quick one for you. Uh, one of our audience members asked uh, if you could repeat your 80-20 rule. And she says, I love simple ways that we can bring that to the workplace to start incorporating a number that workers can apply to their day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, so the 80-20 rule is, you know, you live right 80% of the time, you know, so focus on those, those six foundation, foundation principles, and then enjoy your life, you know, because we're all going to enjoy the, the fruits of our labor and, and what the offerings are in life 20% of the time. Absolutely. And, and that's without being a source of disease or illness to yourself. So that's the 80-20 rule. Great. Thank it you also for helps that. that work, it also helps that work-life balance that most everybody, if you take surveys, says that they don't have. And, and I'm sure it's in the construction industry too, given the shortage of workers. Certainly. We wanted to go next to hydration. We had a question come in uh, that asks, we know hydration is essential during warm weather, clearly, but how do we ensure that recommendations for water consumption stay the same throughout the year? And I guess I think about here in Chicago, for example, during the colder months, how do we ensure that happens uh, hydration? -wise? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, I, I had it on the slides, but in, again, my training in, in, in research. So what I found taking your body weight uh, and then dividing it in half, um, and that's, that's going to be your ounces, how you need to be, how much water you need to be drinking daily. 
doesn't matter, uh, you know, how cold or how hot it is. That's your baseline. Great. There's Thank science you for, for you, Bear. Yeah, great tip. Great tip. Thank you. Um, Kevin, our, our audience for safety and health always loves to learn about resources. Are there resources for things like breath work and instinctive movement systems that we can share with our audience? Any websites that you can share or anything? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, for instinctive movement, uh, you know, they could reach out to Nick or myself because we're both groups are certified in this. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we have some short videos that are not marketing videos. They're just very about the, the topic. So we could share those if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, we try not to, you know, we, we, we try to make a lot of educational things that are not um, brand specific. Um, I think with all the data that I had, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I, you know, where we talked about the construction worker and some of the issues they're facing, we have all the sources and we could send links uh, out to the group if you want to do that in mass. I'll have uh, Yulia, who you've met, uh, reach out to you with all those links to those sources so people can look at that. And then I think, Nick, if you could maybe send the Yulia so we just do it all at once, some of your uh, links to some of the nutrition and the breath work and stuff like that. So I think yeah. it's a good thought, Barry, that we could put all this together into a singular resource document that people can then go and look, you know, educate themselves on. Perfect. Thank you for that. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll throw ahead, out, I mean, we'll do that, but I'll throw out, I mean, I'm reading a book right now. It's called just breathe, you know, and so just breathe out there on the market. It's from Dan uh, Brule and that's B R U L E. And so he's kind of one of the OGs in, in breath work and um, it's been a, been a great read. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll provide some other information. Um, you know, one, one thing I know everyone's from probably all over the country, you know, get on, get on Google and, uh, and, and just type up there's, there's plenty of places. It's now kind of been thrown in industry. Uh, there's a lot of places offering breath work classes. So Great. Um, so yeah, Nick, maybe send all that to, to Yulia and we'll put together a mass resource list that's non-marketing oriented, Barry. Perfect. That sounds great, guys. It looks like we have time, guys, for one more question today. And, and Nicholas, I wanted to, you made the comment that we're all unique. And I wanted to ask for our audience of safety professionals, um, are there any specific things that they should know um, to keep in mind for perhaps older workers or female workers? Yeah, um, I think it, it just goes back to trying to listen to your body. Um, I mean, look, we're, we're all at different, different levels, uh, different ages. Um, we all have different things going on in our lives. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, uh, talk with your primary care physician. And um, if, if you're not doing so already, one, one thing that I've done over the years is I try to go in on an annual basis and I get some blood work done. You know, it gives me a baseline of, of where all, all uh, my, my body is at this time and where I need to focus some of my efforts. Um, so that will give you kind of a good, good idea as far as internally what you need to focus on. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, there's not, there's not like a diet plan for everybody because um we are also uh, unique, um, you know, based on our genetics and and uh, what we're pre, you know, pre pre exposed to and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, very. I, I would add, to, and I agree wholeheartedly with what Nick just said. But I think the other thing that organizations can do is 
understand the demographics, right? In general, Certainly. look at your say, look at your health data, uh, work with your health, um, HR group to look at your health data. But I think when, you know, the comment I made early were 16 states have at least 6% more women than they do men. The dynamics of the industry is going to change. We didn't talk about safety technology today, but you got to start thinking about the future, right? And what does that look like? So you have to take into account, maybe not so much the uniqueness of the individual, although I think a lot of organizations try to get to that level of granularity if you can, but look at the uniqueness of work groups, whether it's age groups, whether it's male versus female, whatever it might be, you know, and also people that have cultural differences that, you know, you have to take into account. If you understand your demographics within your organization today, what the demographics of the area you work in, the community, and where that's going, you can develop these programs that may be echoskeletons, maybe wearable sensors, maybe motion capture type technology, which we didn't dive into today, right. can be utilized to help define easier ways for those folks to do the job, as well as what Nick's you know, model around nutrition, breath, and, and, and movement. So I think it's a combination and that's mm -hmm. where I think uh, the safety leaders need to go is then start going, you know, once you figure out which piece of this model you want to put in, but then start thinking about the future. Great. Well, thank you both for the conversation today. We really appreciate it. Unfortunately, folks, we've run out of time today. We thank you all for attending today's presentation, and we would appreciate you taking a little bit of your time to share your feedback via our survey. A special thank you today goes out to our terrific presenters, Kevin Lombardo and Nicholas Lofton, and everyone from our sponsor, Edaveta. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day. Thank you.